lot of people think that you rise to the occasion, and in reality, that's not true. You fall back to your level of training. So if your level of training is not high, you're not going to be successful when the when the rubber meets the road and it's real. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. Federal Resources Studio. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. Training is the key to knowing how to fight fires, especially when your department doesn't respond to frequent real-world structure fires. It's also the way to make sure no one gets hurt. But there's a right way to train in a whole lot of wrong ways, according to my guest today. He's here to tell us how training goes wrong and how it can be more realistic. Robbie Owens has been a firefighter for over 20 years. He's a captain in the Henrico County, Virginia Division of Fire. His career started when he was 15 years old as a volunteer. And he runs the website AverageJakeFirefighter.com. Robbie Owens, welcome to Code 3. Thank you so much, Scott, for having me. It's uh, I really enjoy listening to your podcast, and I'm honored to be a guest. Well, it's great to have you. So they say you fight like you train. So why does it seem like so much firefighter training is just checking the boxes? Well, I think you kind of hit on it a little bit in your introduction. It really kind of starts with we have so much other things other than the fire department stuff that we're supposed to do. Yet the fire department still is what's on the side of our rig, still what's on our building, still what's on our shirts. But yet we have to do all these other tasks. And a lot of times the basic firefighting skills that we need when those fires happen kind of get pushed to the wayside. The other thing is, is that a lot of firefighter training is not sexy. It's hard work. It's dirty work. It's blue collar work. And Sometimes people don't want to do that when it's 100 degrees outside or it's 20 degrees outside. Guys don't want to go outside and pull lines or throw ladders or do searches. But in reality, that's the time we need to do it because those are the the situations where it's the most stressful when those adverse weather conditions and things of that nature you know, are presenting themselves. We need to be trained for those situations. Well, the thing that seems most concerning to me is that if you don't have a whole lot of structure fires, when you do have one, you're going to have firefighters who don't have a lot of real-world experience, so it seems like their training needs to be even better. I would 100% agree with that. Fires are down just about everywhere except maybe in some major urban cities, and even there, I believe they're, they're down a little bit. So it's important to have a strong training regimen so that you're ready. And to me, training, you know, experience is valuable, education is valuable, but training is the only way 
to bridge that gap between real world experience. So, you know, we're not going to as many structure fires as we used to. So we have to get out there and train so that when we meet that situation, we're prepared for it because a lot of people think that you rise to the occasion. And in reality, that's not true. You fall back to your level of training. So if your level of training is not high, you're not going to be successful when the, when the rubber meets the road and it's real. So what are some of the major problems you've seen with training? Some of the major problems I see with training is that, again, like I talked about earlier, it's the focus is not necessarily on the basics of firefighting, you know, especially like with engine company work. Uh, engine company work is flowing water and stretching lines. It's blue collar, down and dirty work. And a lot of people would rather just sit in the recliner or you know do something on a computer, watch a YouTube video. You can learn a lot from a YouTube video, but it, there's, no, there's no substitute for going out there and putting your hands on stuff. And I feel like I see that apathy in the fire service so much these days like it's like twisting someone's arm to get them to go out on the drill ground for a couple hours to stretch hose and and to flow water and to do searches and just to do all those things that we have to do at every fire and it seems like some of the training that does get done is not adequate for instance you have the engine pull up, they stretch a line, put out a fire, or put out a simulated fire, and that's it. But the engineer doesn't get any experience working with multiple lines or a uh, supply line. Things that would take extra time to do seem to get overlooked. Yeah, I would say that the realistic aspect of our training is definitely taking a hit. You know, it used to be, and, and I realized that there's that there's regulations and that there's, you know, different things we have to follow. It's, it's very hard these days to make a acquired structure NFPA compliant for a burn. But th those were valuable sets and reps for me as a young firefighter coming up, getting to do acquired structure burns and, and doing all those things, seeing, you know, real world buildings being burned up and having to operate and find that, you know, because everybody, by the time you do a couple burns in your recruit school, you're fully aware of the layout of your burn building. So it starts to be not very challenging. And so you can go in there and put fires out in your burn building all day, which is valuable, but we're not getting those those valuable sets and reps with the realisticness of our training. We're just not seeing them as much today as we were in the past. And that's where I wanted to go next with burn buildings. It seems to me that burn building's best asset is that they teach you what the environment is like. But once you know that, they're not great for how to put out a fire. Yeah, I mean, especially with the way that, you know, NFPA, and again, I'm not bashing NFPA here. I, I definitely think that they have value in the fire service. But with the restrictions they put on the fuel loads we're allowed to use, we're not allowed to use real world fuel loads and Let's be honest, burn buildings are not real buildings. You could set a heck of a fire in there, and it's not going to fall down on you, where in, in the real world, that is not a reality. You know, if you have these real-world fuel loads where everything is basically just, you know, you know, plastics and foam, and it almost burns just like gasoline, you know, the those fire loads take a toll on the buildings that we're in, and there's a real risk of collapse. There's a real risk of flashover. In a lot of these burn buildings, you're not seeing that, so you're not getting the fire behavior training. You're not getting to how much water you really need to flow in order to put out a real world fire. So it can actually create some bad habits that you have to retrain yourself so that you don't repeat them when it's real. I'll be back with more right after this. Federal Resources is a mission critical solutions provider with only one goal 
to empower and prepare the first responder for any threat, at home or abroad, that they are called on to respond to. Your mission is to protect and defend. Our mission is to make sure you're equipped with the knowledge and training on response techniques to current threats. We'll make sure you know the latest innovations in technology to ensure mission success every time. You look out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Learn more at federalresources.com. In your experience, are we already seeing the results of inadequate training? I think, you know, and if you read any of the fire service periodicals out there and, and, and things like that, I think we have seen a little bit of that. We've seen some regression in just the, the art of firemanship. We've seen, you know, people think that, uh, you know, we have one line fires and we don't do some of the basics correct. And we don't do and we just kind of, you know, we, we win a lot of the time, even with poor poor tactics. So we kind of just put it off to the wayside when in reality we could do these and, and put these fires out more efficiently and faster, more effectively, and we would be doing better for the citizens and better for ourselves, making the fire ground safer. So what can we do to improve training so that people are seeing more realistic scenarios? Well, so one, one of the things that I preach to anybody, uh, any article I write, any kind of uh, thing that I talk about is the three hours. I think in, you know a lot of firefighters work uh, for 24-hour shifts, even if you don't, even if you're doing 12s or 14s or whatever, even if you're a volunteer and you're just doing a duty crew, you usually have three hours in your day to make some to, to do some sort of uh, firefighting training. So I break up the three hours into this. I like to spend one hour in the gym working on my physical fitness because let's be honest, if you're not physically fit, you're not going to be able to do any parts of the job. You're not going to be able to be successful on the fire ground. Even if you know how to pull a hose line, if you're tired, if you're not strong enough, if you're not in good enough shape, you're not going to be able to be effective on the fire ground. So I like to spend one hour in the gym. The second hour, I like to spend one hour, I call it, in the library. I read something about our job. I, you know, look at a YouTube video and practice size-ups, you know, something like that, some sort of, you know, getting expanding your fire service education. And then the last hour is a minimum of an hour hands-on training. Getting out on the ground, pulling hose lines, throwing ladders, forcing doors, doing searches, putting your gear on, and just making, you know – practicing those basic firemanship skills that we need on a daily basis when that real fire comes out. I really think those, if you do that, even if you're not going to a lot of fires, you'll become a pretty phenomenal firefighter if, you, if you're if you consistent with the, doing those three hours. Now, I know you're going to say it's everybody's responsibility to do this, but when they are not all that interested, how do we motivate them to do these things? I mean, it's for your own good, but they may be more interested, as you said, in sitting around watching TV. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's a couple different ways. One, you know, the first way, obviously, is if you're not going to do it for you, then do it for the other people around you. You know, I, I would hope that that people would train hard, not just for their family, but for my family, you know, my wife and my two kids. I want the guy next to me to be just as trained as I am so that I can go home safe to my family. And I'm going to do the same for him. I'm going to train for my family, but I'm training for his as well. So maybe you can appeal to that motivation. And to quote my good buddy, uh, instructor John Dixon, I kind of appeal to this in, in this aspect too, is nobody instituted a draft for you to come into the fire service. No one came to your house while you were sitting on the couch and said, you're going to be a firefighter. 
So you chose this job. You you went, and especially in my fire department, a thousand people took the written test, and then six hundred people or three hundred people went through the CPAT. You went through an interview process with a panel and an interview process with our fire chief. Went through twenty some weeks of recruit school, and now you're gonna like throw all of that away. You worked so hard to get this job. Why are you not gonna want to be good at it? So you know, you, no one came to your house. We didn't come to you. You came to us. So you should do what we need to do to be the best firefighter and the best fire department that we can be. All good points. Robbie Owens, thanks for talking with us today on Code 3. Thank you, Scott. And we've put some more information about real-world training and a link to Robbie's website at Code3Podcast.com slash reality. Check it out. Here comes your trivia question. What piece of apparatus is Daniel Hayes credited with inventing? I'll have the answer right after this. If you like Code 3, you'll love the Code 3 Bull Session. It's more discussion with our guests on any topic. Sometimes it's serious. Sometimes it's not so serious. But it's only available to patrons of Code 3. Find out what you've been missing. Go to Code3Podcast.com support. Pledge just $10 a month to support Code 3, and you'll get immediate access to all the Bull Sessions in our library and future interviews as we post them. Become a patron today, support the show, and get access to the Code 3 Bull Sessions. Here's the trivia answer. Daniel Hayes invented the aerial ladder. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. What do you think of the show? You can let me know by email, scott at code3podcast.com. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code 3 is made possible through the generous support of Federal Resources. Visit them at federalresources.com. This show is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.